0: There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
1: Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man too, the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, uh, August 13th, 2012. This is episode 958 of the Survival Podcast. Guys, 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 gals too? Uh, please make your calls and be part of episode 1000. There will be a link in today's show notes to explain more about this. But what I'm looking for is people to call in in about you know somewhere between one and three minutes. Tell me about how your walk with preparedness and involvement with Survival Podcast has made changes in your life over the years, the months, the days, however long you've been listening. Uh, you can listen to some older shows, episode 550 and the one-year anniversary show. Both are shows like this. And there will be a link in today's show notes where you can learn more about episode 1000. And we're also doing Revolution 2.0, that's a remake of the video uh, of you know photographs of the audience uh, that we did to the theme song you hear every day, The Revolution Is You. Uh, Again, there'll be a link about all of this today, but if you want to call in for that show, I'm going to give out the number on the air again. It is not the Think Line. If you call the Think Line, it is not likely that, uh, you know, I might find it, I might not as I'm screening calls, and I'm way behind on calling shows because of a lot of travel lately, so you got to use the this is this is why i set this up the number is 866 691 5353 that's revolution 2.0 uh episode 1000 for your calls for that uh, send me your photographs as well. Remember, send me your photographs for Revolution 2.0 with people in them. And please try to send me photographs with you in there with your kids if you're sending me pictures of your kids. Not just a little kid standing in a field. It's cute. Some of those will get in there. But the Revolution is you. It's not somebody else. And it's not a bunch of cans sitting on a shelf with no people in it. Don't send me pictures like that because those will not get in. I think it's cool that you did that. Uh, but the Revolution is you. It's not a can. All right, before we get into today's show, which is going to be a listener feedback show, uh, I want to go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Harvest Eating and the awesome, badass Chef Keith Snow. You know, I have really improved my cooking by using chef Keith's seasoning i'll say just from that alone and then from having him on the show and looking at his videos i picked up a lot of techniques that have made my cooking better you know we've worked really hard in our gardens to produce stuff and we go out and we buy the best quality food that we can a lot of us are concerned with our health we try to eat things like grass-fed beef naturally raised or organically raised chicken and things like that or we're raising our own and when you go and put out the extra effort to grow it yourself raise it yourself butcher it yourself or even just pay more for it to get better quality you to. To come out and be worth all that effort. Not just to be nutritional, but to taste great. So if you go to harvesteating.com and you start following what Chef Keith is doing, and if you watch his show on RFD TV, that's Royal Free Delivery TV, it's on Dish, it's on uh, DirecTV as well. You can look it up in your program guide, and you can look up his his show there. Um, You would really, I'm telling you, you, you'll, you'll get more results. Out of what you're doing. My wife doesn't even ever want to go out to eat ever anymore. Because she's like, what you cook at home is better. And we don't have to leave the house. And it costs less. So check out Harvest Eating. And Chef Keith will help you become... A great cook, like your Uncle Jack is. All right, next up today, westernbotanicals.com. You know, I'm also big on trying to care for myself as much as possible. I don't spend a lot of time in doctor's offices. I really don't. I believe in preventative care, and I believe when we have an acute problem, that it makes sense to see if something nature provides can take care of it first. Now, I'm not giving you medical advice. I'm just telling you. That's my personal philosophy. And when it comes to doing that, the, the, the planet has given us this massive array of choices. I mean, if you can find a problem, there's a natural thing that will help with it. Not necessarily cure it, but will help with it. And, you know, our ancestors were a lot healthier than us because our soil wasn't depleted. They ate a much more varied diet. So they got a lot of these things naturally. Today, it's important that we find our deficiencies, we use our brains, and we backfill those deficiencies, and we improve our health naturally as much as possible. That means that you might realize, hey, I need something that's hard to find. Western Botanicals will have it. Or you'll go, I know what the problem is, but I don't know what I need. If you call Kyle Christensen and his staff, they'll tell you what will work for you, and they'll help you get it into your hands. And they'll do it with great service and great pricing. So check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. Again, Dr. Kyle Christensen and his staff are just amazing. Uh, we pick the phone up and call them all the time. And we don't you know, tell them, hey, this is Jack from the Survival Podcast. My wife will just call them and say, hey, this is Dorothy. And she won't say, Dorothy, who? She'll just say, I was wondering about, and then I'll we'll get a number and get back to us. And so they're treating us like any other customer, and the, the way they treat us is amazing. They're also a huge supporter of the member support brigade, guys. Uh, they have a program called their, their preferred membership program, or premium membership program. Anyway, it's $50 a year, and you get 25% off all your supplements and all your herbals. And if, if you use a lot of them, that pays itself back. But you get it for free for your first year, as you, if you're an MSB member. You just make a phone call and give them the information in your MSB. Uh, and then, uh, if you, uh, If you want to keep it after that first year, you get it for half price going forward. So I think that's a huge benefit that they provide to the member's brigade as well. Next up, remember you can get really cool copper uh, AOCS barter medallions at TSP Copper. That's TSP like the survival podcast, the word copper.com. Cool stuff there. Check it out today. We have some really awesome stuff in, in the store. Some of you guys have been emailing me. Uh, they are back ordered on a few different designs. They're expecting a shipment in this week. So, those of you that have an order in and you're wondering where's it at, and I know you want to get them in your hand, it's just sometimes you order something that they're, they're out of for now. And uh, I'm going to talk to them about doing a better Job of letting you know when that happens, uh, and I'm going to have uh, Dorothy start reviewing our back end information. And when we see an order go past a week, we'll shoot you an email, let you know it's processing, and that uh, that's probably the issue. So we'll start working on doing a better job for you on that. Uh, next up, uh, if you want to support this show, the best way to do that, join the member support brigade. You get great discounts. Uh, like the one I just talked about with Western Botanicals. I just got you a huge discount on cert training systems i 'm working with another company that does reloaded ammunition and body armor i 'm going to get you a deal there i 'm working finally i think i 'm going to be able to bring you somebody that does silver and gold that 's going to give you a main you know a, an ongoing easy-to-understand discount, so I'm working on more and more stuff like this for you guys in the MSB. Remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, uh, first responders like paramedics, active duty, or prior service. Email me before you join, put service discount on the subject line, and uh, tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did, and I will send you a discount code uh, to thank you for your service before you join. With that, i got it all wrapped up. Let's get into the uh, main topic today, which is your feedback, but I'm going to talk about something else. Uh, first, I want to talk about uh, hype. I really do. I want to talk about hype, and I want to talk about uh, somebody uh, on the blog that says, hey, just because they're not enforcing something doesn't mean it doesn't exist, when I talked about the yellow journalism crap with Mike Adams from National News last week. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about that story. I just, that's what brought this up. And I want to kind of go through some reality here so that in the future when you start hearing these things, you can do some research for yourself and, and find out the facts. Last week when I talked about this, I mentioned how many times in the past, people like Mr. Adams, people like Alex Jones, and I want to say something again, just before I go forward with this, so that people really understand my position here when it comes to these two individuals. On some levels, they do great work, and they bring awesome information to the surface, and things that we probably wouldn't know about without those two folks, again, uh, Mike Adams and Alex Jones, Mike from Natural News, Alex from The Alex Jones Show. Um, But then then they're so committed to their agenda that they'll twist things. And sometimes I think they believe their own bullshit. I really do. And one of the things that I brought up uh, last last week about this was what was called S-510 or Senate Bill 510. It was the Food Safety and Modernization Act. And this was a thing that went around. I mean, I wanted to kill myself for two years over this bill. I really did. I got, I would say, while this was going on and all this hype and fluff was going on about it, uh, in the early stages, two or three emails a week, by the time we were getting up to where they were going to vote on it, uh, I was getting anywhere from 50 to 100 emails a week of people concerned that they were going to outlaw your garden in your backyard and make it illegal for you and the old lady on the other side of the fence to trade tomatoes for peppers. And... This went on and it went on and I kept saying this is not what this bill is. This bill is designed to do the following two major things. Number 1, to take power that already exists, authority that already exists, responsibilities that already exist that spread across five departments of government and put it into one. So that all of that you can shit can set to the side. It's it's meaningless, it doesn't matter, they already do this stuff, it's not that they should be doing this stuff, it's not like this is a great bill, it's not like I'm happy about it, but this is already being done. Period. End of story. So we can put that aside and stop freaking out about it. the The part that freaked everybody out, that everybody built a story off of, was that they wanted to put, and they did put, Tracking requirements into the food system. So that if a farm in Mexico you sold jalapenos into a distributor, and this distributor is doing millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of business all over the United States, all over North America, all over the world for that matter. And somebody up in Pennsylvania bought some jalapenos, took them home and washed them and chopped them up and you ate them raw, in a salsa, and got hepatitis, which has happened, okay? That is exactly why they wanted to do this, because this type of thing has happened. It happened with green onions, too, hepatitis on the green onions. It happened with E. coli, so that if that happened, the minute you knew who it was, where they bought the food, that the, the regulators could immediately then look at that and say, that jalapeno came from this farm and went through this channel, and they could pull everything off the shelves that came from that source without pulling everything off the shelves that's a jalapeno because they're not sure where it came from. That's what they wanted to do. That in itself is not bad. And the multi-million dollar food conglomerates that are making it impossible to figure out where the food comes from, that are making billions of dollars doing this, should have to do it. And most of them already were because they were doing it for marketing purposes. This actually made them do it in a way that the government could interpret And while I don't like big government, and there's many things I don't think government should be doing, seeing to the safety of the food supply, I'll put that on the list of things I wish they would do. Okay, Now, the problem was, they used the term farm, and they made it to where anybody that was selling food, that was a farmer, not a gardener, growing food in the backyard... Giving food to your neighbor, nothing to do with that. But anybody that was doing this for commercial purposes would be considered a farmer. And yes, this would include somebody with a half acre that goes down and sells at the farmer's market. Yes. Now, the intention of the bill did not actually appear to do that, but the wording of the bill would have allowed for it. So that was my big concern, and I kept saying, this is what we need to be talking about, that a local producer that sells directly to their customer, we don't need it to be tracked because when Bill buys a watermelon from Tom, he knows where the damn watermelon came from. right? Even if he's selling to a restaurant, the restaurant knows where the food came from. We don't need this, and this, this cost put onto these people could put small producers out of business. And I said, what I wanted more than anything... Since this bill, and this is the other thing, we need to fight, we need to fight. I'll read some comments to you in a minute, all right, of, of just a lack of reality. But we need to fight this bill. We need. Okay, the Democrats were in complete control of the House and the Senate at the time. They were in a lame duck section. That means a lot of them that were going to vote on this bill were already voted out. They were already not coming back. There's nothing to threaten them with, right? Remember, this is the 2010 election had just happened. And, and the lame duck sessions holding this bill, I'm going to vote on. It. Um, a senator by the name of John Tester, Democrat out of Montana, proposed an amendment that was passed. The amendment stated that anybody that was producing less than five hundred thousand dollars a year and selling forty percent or more of their produce directly to consumers was, or within their own state, either or was 100% exempted from this requirement. So, I, I'm like, when that happened, I, on November 23rd, 2010, I posted a, an article on Survival Podcast with a video of Senator Tester introducing his amendment. And the, the, the title of that article is Thank You Senator John Tester for Your Amendment to S-510. I want to read what I wrote back on that day to you guys. Due to my strong stance as a constitutionalist and libertarian, the uninformed often call me a right winger, which if you listen to my show, you know is simply nuts. Unfortunately, I don't get to give many politicians a pat on the back, be they Democrats or Republicans. Today, though, I get to thank a Democrat from Montana for his work with the turd of a bill known as S-510. I just posted a long rant on S-510, blasting both sides Sides of the debate, the opposition for the hype and the outright lies, and the proponents for legislation that could put small producers out of business. One thing I pointed out that could be done is, is a small producer amendment that would exempt family producers and small fir- farms. Turns out there is such amendment, and it does seem to be sticking to the bill as it moves through the Senate. The amendment proposed by Senator John Tester of Montana, the amendment will exempt producers who produce less than $500,000 in annual revenue across a three-year average and expand the definition of direct sales. Well, I still do not like this bill and don't want it passed, this amendment is based on good old common sense. Make sure you tell your senators to support this amendment if the bill itself can't be stopped. I want to personally thank Mr. Tester for his efforts here, and I'm sure I will find many reasons to disagree with him down the road, but for now... Job well done, sir. The following video is Mr. Tester explaining his amendment. You can also read the amendment in full, as summary at his website while personally going to call Mr. Tester's office and say that even though I am from Texas, I want to thank him for his introduction of this amendment. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, here is what Anti-Federalists said. Uh, in the comments below, government is best which governs least. The bill S 510 is unconstitutional and gross government. Thanks for raising awareness of this bill. Uh, I don't see anything about S 510 that's unconstitutional at all. I really don't. Uh, specifically since, well, actually I do. And, and there is an unconstitutional component of it. Uh, they want, th- this bill applies to in state commerce as long as they don't meet the small producer threshold. So any federalist is right. That is, um, that is unconstitutional but here was my response anti federalist I am, of course, totally opposed to the whole damn thing. The Tester Amendment is like a diversion that lets you evac your troops when the battle is lost. We have a lame duck, heavy Liberal Congress right now. They're going to pass it, and we can't stop it at this point. Now with the Tester Amendment, we lose, but only concerns over 500K are affected. So in my view, we can, one, keep beating this dead horse knowing we're going to lose anyway, or two, we can zero in on the other crap we need to stop, like the union card check. Remember that one? Cap and tax, expiring tax. These were things that were going on. And, um, you know, if you want to read all of this crap I was going to read today, but I want to get into some other things, you can. But I think it would be interesting if you went back and read uh, all the comments to this one and the article I had done the day before uh, about S510 and, and then realized this is what was going on. People were being told almost every day, through outlets like Natural News and the Alex Jones Show, that this bill was about your backyard garden, and they were going to outlaw gardens. They were going to outlaw farmers' markets. Even with this bill, there was nothing that would have outlawed a farmers' market. It would have made the people selling at farmers' market do paperwork. Should they have to do it? No. Again, if you go to a farmers' market and you buy from Steve, and you eat his tomatoes and you get sick, you know where it came from. And Let's face it, that's not the place in our food supply where people were getting sick. It was these massive conglomerates that were causing the problem. Um, the point being that the, the hype was complete and total, 100% lies and bullshit. Okay, okay. At this one I want to go on to uh, to your actual feedback uh, for the show, but I, I just wanted to go through that little history lesson. And here's the thing: uh, we were told over and over again, "They're going to do it. They're going to. They're going to." And, and they didn't. Right? And it wasn't, and it wasn't going to be, and it never was. And now we have Yahoo's out there, like Stormy in New York, who says he's going to pull his hair out if I mention this again. And Stormy, this whole intro is just for you today. Shave your head because I'm going to get rid of every hair you have if, if you continue to listen. Go listen to shock Jocks if you want bullshit to be uh, argued with. You know, it's just because it's just they're not enforcing it doesn't mean uh, that it that it that it's not on the books and can't be enforced. It doesn't say the word. Garden in the bill. Here's the reality. Most of the people that were hyping this bill had never read it. When this was going on, I read every single word of this bill. And this is what I would like you guys to do in the future for yourselves. When somebody tells you that a bill says something, the first thing you can do is go download a copy of the bill. You can do that at GovTrack. And then you can use a little function called Control-F. f Right, and if it says that this bill will ban gardens, just start out by hitting control F and type the word garden in and hit enter and see if you have the word garden in there. That doesn't mean it's clean. Well that's a good start to tell you that you're probably not being leveled with by the person doing it then you could do this thing that they teach you to do in school called reading and you could read the actual bill and see what it actually says and you might find a hundred different things in there that you're really really opposed to and you might be able to develop a complete cogent and logical reason to oppose this thing you might be able to articulate that argument you might actually be able to stop bad legislation by communicating to your fellow Americans in a logical uh, you know normal way but if you start saying stupid shit to people like this bill Ben's gardens which is what everybody did back then and that's what everybody calls into talk radio and talks about the talk radio host does what you didn't do which is look it up because he's a journalist and at least does some level of vetting of information and tells people these people are crazy this has nothing to do with your garden then all of a sudden all of the open minds become closed minds and we screw ourselves over and we hold back the liberty movement i was told last week when i came down on mike adams for doing this with another story about the water and c- 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 catching the rainwater, and criminalizing permaculture, and the the, the 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 this that's a that should be a criminalized freaking headline, even though I don't really mean to want to say that, but I mean it's just an atrocious uh, abuse of journalistic uh, power and journalistic authority to do that. That I was dividing the Liberty Movement. No, no, people that make shit up, that sensationalize, that go further than what's being done. You're damaging the Liberty Movement. The Liberty Movement needs to be based. On truth and fact, not well. They could. Okay, fine. Then point out that they could. Separate. Don't attach you to something where it's not there. Well, look, the law could be changed. Yeah, if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle. Any law could be changed. We have a law that says that um, you know you, you, there's a tax on hats that come from Bangladesh, an import tax, and that law could be amended somewhere down the road through an act of Congress to say that you have to pee in a cup when you buy a hat. I, I mean, you could. They could do anything if we let them. But it doesn't have anything to do with existing law. They can pass a new law. It's easier than, I'm done. Uh, But please don't buy into this bullshit in the future, folks. And please, for God's sakes, when somebody sends you something that seems ridiculous, learn to use Google or Bing or Yahoo and do just a simple search. and Research the facts for yourself. And just because you find an opposing opinion doesn't mean the opposing opinion is Right. Go deeper. But usually in just a few minutes, you can find out the truth in these matters. And you'll often find out the truth is somewhere between where the opposition and the, and the people that are, the, the, that are for something, uh, it's usually in between the two of those. All right, so first email of the day. I know I went long, but I think this is an important lesson that we have yet to learn. And my email box shows me every day that we have yet to learn this lesson. What I actually want to do now, I, I got an email uh from a guy named Neil sends me a lot of great stuff, one of my uh regular contributors. And he says, uh you were right again, Jack, is the subject line. And whenever I see that I go, Oh shit. I really do. I'm like, I don't want to be right. I'm always right about bad stuff. And it says, Jeez, dude, if the whole survival biz doesn't work out for you, why don't you be a fortune teller? I don't I do not think uh, the blaze is MSM, but it's more mainstream than some. And it's basically an article stating, you know, what we've talked about, Stockton, California went bankrupt. Uh, but is your city next? Could this become a pattern? And uh, it's on Reason TV. And uh, they did a really great job of covering it. So what I want to do is I just want to play the audio from the video. Uh, and, uh, then I'll come back and comment on, on, my thoughts about it. It's a bit long, uh, but I think that this is, this is our future. And we really need to get in touch with this because this is, this is gonna become the major pain point, uh, that we're gonna deal with going forward. So here you go, uh, the article from Reason.tv or the, the audio of the video from Reason.tv and I'll put a link to the actual video so you can get the uh, visual component if you want to as well, uh, in today's show notes.
2: So 600000 to a $1 million we've committed to for each employee, and we've set aside nothing, zero.
3: In late June 2012, Stockton, California, filed Chapter 9 bankruptcy. The so
0: motion carries 6 to 1.
3: It wasn't the first California city to do so, and what's happening in California is spreading to the rest of the country. But so far, with a population of just under 300,000, it is the biggest municipality in U.S. history, to go bankrupt. An agricultural center located just outside of San Francisco in California's Central Valley Stockton was a booming suburb in the 1990s, providing an affordable living alternative to the pricey real estate of the Bay Area. Living large off the new property taxes created by the housing bubble, the city government spent lavishly on big public works projects like a waterfront park, an arena, and a brand new city hall, which sits nearly empty, as the city government could never actually afford to move in promotional flyers still remain plastered to empty buildings downtown. Reminders of a more hopeful time. But even all this spending pales in comparison to the magnitude of Stockton's public employee pension and benefit obligations. The city now faces more than eight hundred million dollars in unfunded liabilities for pensions and other employee benefits.
4: We're saddled with this debt. We don't have the revenues anymore. To, uh, to service
3: With revenue dwindling in the wake of the housing crash, Stockton issued a $125 million bond in 2007 to help fill the budget gap. But the back-end loaded bond saddled the city with an annual payment of $16.8 million as of this year, with ballooning payments rising to $22.3 million next year and nearly doubling to $30.2 million by 2020.
4: I was really shocked by how deep it went, by how ingrained it was. It had really created a culture, what was best for for the city and what was best for its employees, not necessarily um, what was best uh, for the public.
3: Miller describes a political culture in which generous handouts to public employee unions were masked through tricky accounting of a savvy city manager who enabled local government officials to give in to nearly every union demand.
4: The quality of that information that the councils received in the 1990s from then city manager Dwayne Milnes was not complete. It was not always accurate. And in some cases, I think it was almost misleading.
3: Dwayne Milnes was Stockton city manager in the 90s and signed off on many of these benefit packages.
0: In retrospect, we should have been more restrictive in that plan than we were. But we didn't know what was going to happen.
3: Milnes now runs Stockton's Association of Retired Employees, which is fighting to preserve many of those very same benefits he now admits were a mistake for the
0: city. These are vested rights. If you have a need to reduce them, you need to come talk to us.
3: Milnes doesn't believe that he or the city council members he advised are to blame for Stockton's dire situation and says that the economic downturn would have put Stockton here with or without the public spending binge.
0: I've seen cities that have the same pension system are paying pretty much the same pension rates that Stockton is doing uh, and are not about ready to fall off the cliff. So when when you ask who's going to tip over, it's not who is providing the pension benefits, it's who's providing the pension benefits in an economic environment that they can't support it.
3: But Reason Foundation senior policy analyst Adam Summers says that Stockton's story is becoming an increasingly common one, as public officials have no incentive to rein in spending before hitting the brink.
2: You're going to continue to see more and more cities kind of go in the way of Stockton and San Bernardino and Vallejo. There's a real kind of moral hazard whereby they have incentives to offer goodies to people, uh, knowing that they won't have to bear the cost of those decisions.
4: In Stockton, we had a city manager who publicly has stated he didn't like having to negotiate every year with his public employee unions, and so he granted generous long-term contracts because he didn't, he didn't want to do it.
0: Malarkey. <laughs> you know, she was not in the closed sessions when, uh, when we were very, very clear uh, with the city council in detail what was being negotiated, what the cost of those things were. I'm the last guy who's going to tell you what it is you want to hear.
3: Putting the history for the bad deal aside, today's reality is that the unfunded retiree benefits, on top of the extensive borrowing to pay for fancy new buildings, has gutted the city's general fund, a bulk of which is now devoted to paying back loans, though it's supposed to pay for the most basic government services, like police and fire.
2: When cities make promises they can't keep, whether it's pensions or some sort of boondoggle project that gets them into a lot of debt, those eat up resources that could be spent for public safety or education.
3: One result is that Stockton's police force shrank by 26% in four years. And last year, Stockton had a record 58 murders. Halfway into 2012, they've already had 34.
4: Stockton's a very dangerous place to live. The number of business robberies are going up, the number of car auto burglaries, auto thefts, shootings. People are more likely to be a victim of a crime than they've ever been before in their life.
3: Katherine Nance is a police sergeant and member of the Stockton Police Officers Association which has several lawsuits against the city.
4: They kept spending to build and build and build on things that they couldn't afford. We're now below market value and unable to retain and
1: recruit people.
3: But in yet another example of the city's loose accounting, three of the last four police chiefs served fewer than three years in Stockton and used the inflated salaries in those final years of their service to retire with massive pensions, some of which exceed $200,000 a year. While the last remnants of a fading movement occupy one of the city's nearly empty public parks, Kathy Miller says it's not corporate pay, but public sector pay that's out of sync with reality in Stockton.
4: The gap widened between what they were earning and what the average taxpayer was earning. I mean, this is in a county where the average working person earns less than $50,000 a year.
3: While California's state-run pension system, CalPERS, has left cities particularly vulnerable to budget meltdowns, Summers warns that the problem isn't confined to the Golden State.
2: Cities around the country have made a lot of the same poor decisions as they have here in California. And so uh, rising pension costs are going to continue to put a stress on local budgets. I think more cities are going to have to follow the example of San Diego and San Jose. They've recently switched over to a 401k style defined contribution uh, pension system for all the city's employees except for police officers and you know really the the private sector has been going this way for 30 years now this is not a partisan
4: issue at all Um, this is a good government issue and i think when we get out of touch with that and we begin acting like it's our money it's not the people's money That's where you get into real serious problems.
3: Stockton officials hope bankruptcy will allow the city to opt out of some of its more stifling contracts and to avoid repaying all of its creditors in full while maintaining some money in the general fund to keep its most basic city services. The city has already been downgraded by credit ratings agencies, which will severely restrict its borrowing ability. Retirees probably won't be seeing the benefits that were promised by city officials, and taxpayers aren't likely to see improved city services anytime soon. But with cities across the country locked into expensive long-term public employee contracts, Stockton's title, as the largest U.S. city to ever go bankrupt, might be short-lived.
1: Now, if you just listen to that, it's really easy to go, California, idiots, liberal-topia attempt at making everything great and, you know, just tax the hell out of everything and spend money you don't have and idiots. It's easy to think that way. And it's easy to listen to the city manager babble on about how it wasn't his fault and he didn't just give out these contracts. And it's easy to be sucked into stuff like, the last three police chiefs only served for three years and then retired with a lifetime salary of about $200,000. That's excessive, yes. But you know what? You were just lied to there. Did you catch the lie? Did you catch the lie? This is what you just heard. You heard a police chief came in and you weren't lied to. You were actually told the truth, but you were you were led to believe a lie. You have this vision of this guy that shows up and then works for three years as a chief of police and then retires and gets two hundred thousand dollars. So he worked three years to get his retirement. No, 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 no. I mean this is where you you know, it makes me want to put a gun to my head sometimes. How do you get the job of chief of police? Well, you start out as an officer and you work your way up to maybe corporal in some departments. In some departments, there is no corporal. You go to, write to sergeant. And maybe you take the lieutenant's exam at some point or become a captain at some point. And maybe you're just a long-term officer without becoming a lieutenant in some departments. And eventually, after years of service and working your way up through the ranks in the department, you get the job of chief of police. And then you're the police chief. It's usually how it works in these larger departments. And in a city like Stockton, that's how it works. So you're looking at an officer in these chiefs who retired after 20 years of service, not someone that worked for three years and got a full retirement. That's what congressmen and senators do. And then they're happy to blame people like police chiefs and claim that that's what they're doing. But no. you know, A congressman goes, serves two terms. They got you a know, lifetime freaking pension. Right? Senators, same freaking thing. One term, I think, in the Senate. And in uh, the, uh, the house, I think you have to get two, so you serve four years, right? And you get a lifetime freaking pension, lifetime benefits. But no, this is a guy, it, But this is, the, this is what I hope you got. Everybody's blaming somebody else. People are suing. They're going to sue the city that has no money. You know, back when my family was pretty much dead broke. I remember one time, this is like when my, I was a real little kid. My dad had not become successful in business yet. You know, we had a little apartment. We didn't have anything. He had this beat-up old uh, Chevy Malibu car that, that just looked atrocious. And some guy said he was going to sue him. And he just said, hey, buddy, you can't get blood from a stone. You must sue me. Go ahead. I don't have anything. You know, and that's, that's what you got. You're going to sue a city that's bankrupt. What are you going to get? There's nothing left. And the big thing that we need to take away here is one: don't do this crap where you're like stupid California because your city's doing this stupid shit too the The one point that was made there is a, it, you know there's other people that have these pensions It's just that we try to do it in a, a market where the downturn came and it, no, no look <laughs> all that happened in Stockton is because of the excess. And because of the huge hit to property tax, because the boom was bigger, the bust was bigger, and the bust was faster. This is going to happen everywhere across America. There is no getting out of it. You can't print your way out of it because cities and states and counties can't print money. And when it happens in your backyard, everybody's going to blame everybody else. People are going to sue. People are going to demand to get paid. And when there's no more money, then there's no more money and nobody gets paid. This is what I've been trying to explain, and people get really upset with me, about all these places where we've got these union shops, or even if it's just public worker retirements and all, and the, the cities are coming to touch with the reality that there's not enough money. They're trying to renegotiate, and all the employees are going, no way, man, we're getting what was promised to us. And if you keep doing that, you're going to get nothing. And here's the real danger. This is where we're at in this tipping point. I think that this is something I don't think most people have, have come to realize yet about where we're really at with this. You know, Friday, I had Glenn Tate on with his uh, his new books, 299 um, Days, a series coming out. And Glenn has an inside look at government, talks to a lot of government people, sees a you know, he calls it a, a front row seat to the corruption in government, and most of the people in government now realize where we're headed. Um, in fact, I'll tell you, I, I told Glenn on the air, and I'll reiterate it here, that I spoke to uh, the deputy director for the, for a um, U.S. congressman, which which I will not name, uh, very recently, and I asked him, "Does your boss know what I, you know? What I'm doing? What I'm saying? What I'm telling people?" And he goes, "Yep, he does." And he goes, I said, does does he think I'm crazy or does he think I'm spot on? He said he thinks you're spot on. Okay, So we have congressmen that know that we're in for this, that this is coming. We have city council members. We have uh, legal lobbyists. We have everybody that's actually doing this shit is accepted the fact that eventually this has to explode. People are beginning to accept the fact that this has to explode. And you would think that that would lead them to, like, we have to fix this. We've gotten to a point, though, where the excess is so magnified. And the compounding nature, you heard about the debt doubling and then doubling again and then doubling again in this town. And where are they going to get the money? Where did they ever think they were going to get the money? Even if the, the, the financial crisis didn't come, right? You can only build so many houses. You can only raise taxes so many times before people leave, right? Um, where did they think it was going to come from? They knew it's not going to show up. So why are people behaving this way? This is the dangerous tipping point. Some of you have already gotten there. I'm trying to lead you there before I say it. For some of you, people are now at the point where they're like, "Screw it! If it's going to collapse, let's just get whatever we can while we can. Let's let's build another building. If it's going to collapse, screw it. Build another building. At least we'll have a building before it collapses, right? right? Let's get let's get more in the retirement funds. Let's. I mean, even if it's not going to get paid anyway, you might as well get as much as you can early on. This is where we're headed. Congressmen are like, screw it, let's pass it. I know we don't have the money, it doesn't matter. It's gonna crash anyway. Might as well do it while we can. It's like when if you if you have ever been to a party, like especially in your younger days, I know in my younger days I used to go to these parties, you know, where people get drunk and act stupid and all. If if it's about ten thirty, eleven o'clock, and you're thinking I really need to get up and get some things done tomorrow, and, and what have you, and you get a little bit of a buzz on, but you know you're walking distance from your house, and you don't have to drive, and you're thinking I can go home at that point you're probably willing to leave the party because, you know, you're still not committed to the long-term hangover and being tired. But if it's like 1 o'clock and the party's raging and you've been, you know, tying one on for a while and you're having a blast and you already know script tomorrow's shot, at least the morning is, then you're likely to stay till the party's over and it's time to clean up and then you're likely to bail if you're not real cool with, you know, helping clean up and all. That's where we're at in the party. We've crossed that tipping point for most people. They know the hangover is coming. And they figure, you might as well party while we can. I can't tell you how dangerous that is. And then there's so much abuse. There's so much waste. There's so much debt. There's so much excess spending. The other side of this is the reason that some people that might otherwise say, yeah, we do have to try to clean this up before it's too late, won't do it is they don't trust that anybody else will get involved, they don't trust that anybody else will help. It's also like you're at the party, and like it's like 2 a.m., and things are starting to wind down, and uh, the place is kind of trashed, and you, you, you want to clean up the mess. But unless a few people will get together and start doing it together, no one's going to do it. Everybody's going to stick the guy that you know, owns the house, maybe his parents come home, and it's a wreck. So when somebody starts picking up or trying to slow the party down, everybody says, stop being a buzzkill, man. Have another beer or go home. Because no one trusts that anybody else is going to really wind it down. That's where we're at. It's extremely dangerous because this isn't a party that we're going to be able to clean up. No matter how bad you trash your house, the worst thing you might have to do is replace a couch and a rug. It's expensive, but it can be done. We're going to go off the rails with this economy in a way where you can't just put it back together. It's going to have to be rebuilt. It's going to have to be completely and totally rebuilt. And there's going to be opportunity in that. I don't want to be all down on this. There's going to be opportunity there, but it's going to suck. It's going to suck in the shift. And it, it, you know, it's what's going to happen is a shift, not an end. And uh, this is this is our future. If you got a little bit like yeah, I'm done hearing this for now, and you maybe you fast forwarded through that audio clip, go back and listen to it the whole thing again. It's our future all over America. It's where we're headed. It's what I've told you years ago when I started telling you this. People wrote me and said cities can't really go bankrupt. I mean, yeah, they file for bankruptcy protection, and you got a city like Stockton. It's just basically folding up. The city hall they built, they can't even afford to move into the building that they built. They can't afford to move into their own building that they already paid for. That's our future. Be prepared. And now in that note, I've got one for you that just came in on Reuters. Um you, when when you think you've heard every dumbass idea somebody could come up with, you you'll you'll always hear another one. Let me read this to you. This is by Anatoly Kalaski. Okay. Suddenly quantitative easing for the people seems possible. Again, I got this email while I was uh talking to you about the last segment. Last week I discussed in this column the idea that vast amounts of money created by central banks and distributed for free to banks and bond funds equivalent to $6,000 per man, woman, and child in America and 6,500 pounds in Britain should instead be given directly to the citizens who could spend it or save it as they pleased. I return to this theme so soon because the radical idea about monetary policy suddenly seems to be gaining traction. Some of the world's most powerful central bankers, Mario Draghi of the European Central Bank last Thursday, Eric Ro- Rogangrin of the Boston Fed Monday, and Mervyn King of the Bank of England this Wednesday are starting to admit that the present approach to creating money, known as quantitative easing, is failing to generate economic growth. Precisely, ta- Previously taboo ideas can suddenly be mentioned. Rosengren, for example, suggested the Fed should expand the money supply without any limit as long as it sees unnecessary unemployment. Okay, hold on. So a central banker basically says they should just print money until unemployment goes away. So let me keep going. I just want you to make sure you understood what, what that that statement was. Dry guy has similarly promised to spend whatever it takes to prevent a Euro breakup although politically his ability to do this remains in doubt. Most interesting was a speech by Adair Turner chairman of uh, Britain's Financial Services Authority and leading contender to be the next governor of the Bank of England. The speech strongly challenged the pervasive complacency of central bankers and called for new ideas that might combine central bank money creation with government decision-making on how to bypass banks and inject money into the non-financial economy of consumption, investment, and jobs. Radical Alternative discussed here last week, QE for the People, or QEP for short, would bypass banks completely by distributing newly created money straight to the public. It is not yet on anyone's agenda, but neither is any longer dismissed, uh, neither is it longer dismissed as a joke. Given the clear political attractions to giving money to citizens rather than bankers, it may start to gain attention, at which point there will surely be powerful objections to this idea. Apart from the obvious observation that bankers and financiers are very powerful interest groups, there are four genuine arguments against QEP as a way to stimulate economic recovery. The first is that it wouldn't work. Since banks and bond investors simply hoarded most of the $2 trillion de- delivered to them via QE, maybe citizens would do the same. Instead of spending their QEP bonuses to buy consumer goods and houses and create jobs, citizens, scared by the financial crisis, might simply save their bonuses or use them to pay down debts. This could indeed happen, but if it did, economic prospects would still be transformed. Since the debt burdens crushing many households would be lightened if the $2 trillion in QE had instead been used to repay consumer debts, U.S. household debt would be reduced from 83% to 70% of GDP, roughly where it was in the 1990s. The excess leverage created by housing and credit bubble would be eliminated at a stroke. The second objection to QEP is that it would work too well. The present slump would suddenly turn into a boom and create inflation. That's pretty likely, guys. That's a good objection. Excessive inflation is always a valid argument against excessive monetary stimulus, but the problem with inflation today is it's too low. Central banks all over the world are explicitly trying to increase it by reducing interest rates to zero. The Fed is particularly adamant about this. If central banks print too much money for too long, then inflation will follow. But the same applies to present policies of zero interest rates and standard QE. Nobody worries about the inflationary risks of these standard policies any longer because they don't seem to be working. But this may actually mean that the accidental uh, monetary overdose is more likely the central bank stick to a standard QE. Another more powerful version of The works-too-well critique relates to politics and moral standards. If distributing printed money proved successful, this discovery would corrupt society. Politicians would bribe voters before elections and citizens would stop working, preferring to collect handouts from the central bank. Of course, these things would happen if QEP continued forever. But the same is true of all popular policies, including tax cuts, welfare spending, and low interest rates. What limits the moral hazard of these policies is not ignorance, but democracy. Governments that lose control over inflation get punished by voters, and the same would apply if central banks continued printing money for longer than required. Whether this money went straight to voters or banks, indeed, if QEP proved effective, central banks would have to print less money than under a standard QE. Which leaves the final most persuasive objection, the idea that money could be given to citizens without raising taxes or increasing the government's debt burden seems too good to be true. Economists often say there's no such thing as a free lunch, but this is not true. In fact, economics, since Adam Smith has demonstrated, the world is full of free lunches. Free economic exchange means that one person's gain need not result in another's loss. That's actually true. That's barter. Equal value for equal value. Uh, When properly managed industrial speculation, international trade market competition, and full employment Um, macroeconomic policies can produce gains without any substantial losses. In the deepest, most protracted economic slump since the 1930s, QE for the people may be another such idea whose time has come. Really? Really? So now the solution to our problem is for the Fed, who's printed too much money, to print more money and just give it to the people so the people can spend it or save it or pay off debt with it. Um, would it be better than what they've done up till now? The two trillion dollars that went into the banks had just disappeared. Likely, but remember, it wasn't two trillion globally; it was sixteen trillion dollars. Watch the hundred million dollar penny on YouTube to get uh, nauseated about what that number really means. I'll put a link to that little uh, gem on the show notes today. But this shows the mentality. This shows the mentality that central bankers basically saying, "Whatever, we'll print as much money as we have to. We'll just keep printing it." We will not let this thing fall apart. We'll print it, we'll print it, we'll print it. Hmm, what does that sound like, Weimar Germany? Zimbabwe? Will it look the same as either one? No. But will it look good? No. And then this this tool comes along and says, why don't we just you know, print up $2 trillion of new money and just randomly hand it out to every man-woman in America? Uh, because some people don't deserve any money for doing nothing and they're already living off the government and they don't need more? That would be one reason. Um if you wanted to give $6,000 to Americans, I'd say take every American that is paying at least $6,000 in income taxes and do it as a tax refund. That would be a way to do it. And then let the Treasury get the money from the Fed, who's counterfeited the money in the first place, to backfill the, 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 uh, the tax return so that producers are rewarded. People that produce a reward, if somebody says, oh, i want my $6,000, go get your ass a job, make enough money to actually pay income tax, and you can have some too. Because it's your own money coming back to you. That would be another way to do it. But let me tell you why they won't do it this way, why they'll never do it this way. The only good thing about this idea is it reverses the indirect tax of inflation. And I know some of you are struggling with what the hell that means right now, but let me let me explain it to you because it's important to understand what these fools are doing because it's going to impact you sooner or later. So right now, when the Fed produces this $2 trillion and quantitatively eases by shoving it into the banks, inflation is being held in check because, just like we talked about, everybody knows this thing's going to explode. The banks are scared shitless, and they're not letting the money flow. Sooner or later that money flows through though, and as it begins to flow through and goes into circulation into the economy, it expands. Money is like a living thing in our economy. It expands through lending. So when a bank gets a million dollars and loans it out, it doesn't loan out the million, it loans out 900,000 against the million, and that 900,000 is new money. And it repeats over and over. The 900,000 comes back in, and then they loan out 820,000 or whatever it is against the 900,000. And they keep doing this over and over and over again. That's where the inflation comes from. As this monetary growth, starting at the top and trickling down through the bank systems, and the, the monetary units expand, there's more money, growth in the money supply. We get inflation, which is the new money sucking value from the old money. If you're the one printing the money, this is great, because you can print it, You can keep some of it, and you can counterfeit legally is what you're basically doing, and your new money has value that you suck out of the pockets of every other person in the world, but you didn't do anything for it. So it's a, it's an indirect tax on the American people from the Federal Reserve, which has, should not have a power to tax in the first place, because the bankers gain from this, and from the government, who gains from this. So your effective tax rate is much higher than you think, because inflation is a hidden tax, and Ben Bernanke admitted that to Ron Paul on the floor of the House. Alright? So that's how it works for now. When they print the money, and it goes through circulation, and to get the money, you have to exert your labor, You have to risk your money in investment, or you have to borrow and pay for it. You do one of those three things to cause growth in the supply. It costs you to get money, and it takes value of the money you have away from you. If the Fed were to give you the $6,000 instead of keeping it for themselves and pushing it through their own system and, and, and causing it to expand through their own system, you would get the money and it would derive its value from the existing money. So yes, you got $6,000, you are sucking money now. You're the one doing the sucking from your neighbor, but he got $6,000 too. So you guys are you guys are even Steven, buddy. You guys are even Steven, right? You didn't really take any value from it. so whose money would you have now sucked value from? The Fed's. They're the ones that don't get it this time. The banks, they're the ones that don't get it this. Time. Now they have to earn it back from you. They have to give you a really attractive rate to get you to come invested in their bank. They have to market some product to you that you'll buy. They have to create an environment conducive to you using the $6,000 of down payment to buy a house so you'll borrow more money. You've become the place where the money has gone to. And that actually does give the idea some merit from an ethical consideration. But it mechanically does it work. When you print money, you devalue money, and in the end, it leads to misery. And every place that it's ever been done, it's led to misery. And the one objection this man does not overcome, as he says, democracy will keep it in check. No, democracy will cause it to explode. May I quote from you, Qu- quote for you, from one of the founders of our country, one of my favorite founders, by the way, Benjamin Franklin. When the people find that they can vote themselves money, that will herald the end of the republic. And that's exactly what this would be. This wouldn't just be, we already have seen it happen. It's already happening. The economic collapse is already in process. I've talked about that recently. But when we look at what Franklin is saying here, when we start talking about being able to have the government just send money to people, not tax returns. You know, not like the you know the, the retroactive Bush tax cuts where like I got a check for like one year like 400 bucks and the other year like 600 bucks. That was my money coming back to me. That's not what this would be. This would be the government and the central bank literally printing money and just giving it to you. Not even spending it into the economy. In some ways, if the government actually did useful things like fix the roads and bridges, you know, if they did all the stuff the stimulus was supposed to do, instead of just creating new departments of government to consume the money, which is what they really did. If the stimulus had actually been done the way that it was painted, we have all these projects, we're going to do them, and we're going to spend the money into the economy, that actually could have stimulated the economy. That's not what they did. They grew government with it. So you can't trust the government to do it is the problem. So spending the money in would be better because then people actually have to do something to earn it. But this can't work. This is madness. And you know what? Someday they might just do it. And why not? Party's ending anyway, isn't it? Might as well go out with a bang. Remember, that is a very dangerous corner that we are not turning. We've turned it. Let's just stick with an economic show today. I mean, i got so much stuff on this, and it's so important that we understand where we're headed with this because this is, if you want to know what you're preparing for, this is what you're preparing for. Every other thing that can go wrong, all it does is accelerate the economic catastrophe. You get a pandemic, you get more economic catastrophe. You get uh, a, a major blackout. Uh, let's say it's not, you know, EMP or some crap like that, it's just a major grid failure that takes like a month to clean up. Uh, which, you know, if anything we should learn from recent storms, that that is definitely something that can happen. You you're going to get economic impacts. You get a major hurricane or a group of them. We get something like Rita and uh, Katrina again. Throw an Ivan and an Andrew in in the same year and get four of those and have them hit major ports, major oil. All it does is accelerate the economic woes. So no matter what you think you're preparing for, the economy is where we really need to be looking because it impacts us all whether we want to admit it or not. So what have I told you? Guess what? Your Social Security is uh, is dwindling to nothing. Not just the funds going broke, but the actual payouts. Uh, let me read this to you. This is on FoxNews.com. Uh, Social Security, how much I pay, how much I get. Lifetime Social Security taxes and benefits for people turning 65 in different decades. The examples are for a married couple in which both spouses earned average wages of 43500 in 2011. Projected benefits assume both spouses have average lifespans after turning 65. Want more benefits? Live longer. If you turned 65 in 1960... You would have collected through Social Security two hundred and fifty-nine thousand dollars. That's your lifetime benefits. You would collect the lifetime taxes you paid in thirty-six thousand dollars. Now let me let me do something that Fox News didn't do uh, to make this a little bit better for you. Uh, thirty-six thousand dollars is not how much you paid into Social Security. What you actually would have paid in is about seventy-two thousand dollars because your employer matched it. Now. I'm going to tell you something else that's not in here. Uh, as, as once I get through the numbers, but if you turned 65 in 1980, you would have received 452 thousand uh, dollars in lifetime Social Security uh, uh, benefits if you lived an average life expectancy. So you know, probably 74 for men, 80 whatever, 88 for or no, but is it 72 and 78? Whatever it is, that's what you would you would have received. The most, but you would have paid in $192,000. But again, that's what you paid. Your employer matched it, so the total paid in was 384 with a return of 452. See, George Bush was an idiot. He really was, but he wasn't wrong when he said that Social Security was a ripoff. That you weren't getting a return of your investment. If you invest $384,000 over the life of your working life, from the time you're 18 to the time you're 65, it should be worth more than $452,000. It definitely should. I mean, just no doubt about it. But if you're investing $384,000 and you're only recouping four fifty-two, what a crappy investment. That's because the government steals the money and uses it for things that are not Social Security. All right, let's keep going. If you turn 65 in 2010, you could expect to collect $555,000 in lifetime benefits. They've gone up. What are you complaining about? Well, your lifetime taxes that you paid in, $588,000, $588,000, and you get back 555000 But we know you're paying over a million. You're paying over a million dollars in Social Security taxes if you retired in 2010, With the income that they're using here. Unless Fox has already doubled the number. Uh, It doesn't say. And when I look at 588, I start to wonder if maybe they did double the number. I I really do. Uh, That they did account for the employer. So let's say they're accounting for the employers. It's still 588 in, 555 out. Sounds like your stock market recently, your investments there, right? You're losing money. If you turn 65 in 2030, 65 in 2030 you will receive if you if it doesn't go broke 699,000 but you've paid in 796,000 so this is how the system even when it's quote unquote working is going downhill there's some other things that we need to realize though there's a very important year in here 1980 if you retired in 1980 you only paid in 192 but you take out 452 That's a a, a decent for a government pension thing? Yeah, okay, that seems like a good return. That seems like at least somewhat of a return. You double your money, but doubling your... Think about what you're doing. You're doubling your money over 40 working years? I mean, come on. But, okay, so fine. But what happened in 1980? Quote, unquote, right? Ronald Reagan saved Social Security. How did Ronald Reagan, quote, unquote, save Social Security? Well saved it by increasing the taxes by a huge degree. So that's why you'll see that a person that retired in 2010 paid a lot more taxes. It wasn't just the increase in wages and the percentage against the wages. It was the increase in the tax rate of Social Security. Well, Reagan didn't save Social Security. He made it last longer. He put new life into it by increasing how much money the government took away from you so that the government could then take that money and not put it away for you the way that they're supposed to. And how is this all related to where we go back toward the beginning of today's show, Stockton, California? Do you remember what the person said at the beginning of the little uh, audio I played for you? We are obligated to pay all of these people X dollars a year, and we haven't put a penny aside to do it with. Huh. Sounds like your government at the federal level, doesn't it? See, it's the same everywhere. And it's why the, the pain that we're going to go through is unavoidable. We cannot pay the obligations that we have to Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid between now and 2050. And I know 2050 seems like a long way out, but trust me, we're not going to get there. That's just a convenient number because that's where we get up to over $100 trillion hundred trillion in unfunded liabilities. That means by then we have that much we owe that we have no idea at all. Even under the best projections of the, you know, the the Congressional Budget Office and everything, if everything is super, if everything's wonderful, right? If unicorns really do show up and people do start farting angels, and everything is as much prosperity as we could ever have in America, we still don't have a hundred trillion dollars. Have you seen anybody fart an angel yet? Have you seen a unicorn yet? I don't think so. This is, this is reality. So I'll put a link for you today in today's show notes so you can check this article out as well. And I'm going to end the show. I know we didn't cover a lot of topics today, but uh, I'm going to end the show with something positive. John writes me and says, What does it mean to you, Jack, to be an American? Our health care laws are written by lobbyists. We slash Congress don't, don't decide if we go to war. The UN and NATO does. Money is dominated by international finance interests. They get bailouts when they screw up. Americans slash humans do not. If I go to Europe, I get treated exactly the same as if I were a European, and the same when they come here. The, The World Wide Web has made freedom of the press sort of redundant. The only difference that comes to mind is that we have a right to defend ourselves with guns. To put the question another way, you say you're proud to be an American. Is this based on emotion or thought? Please give three or four reasons why I can believe my life is better for being an American as compared to if I were a citizen of Germany, Norway, or Hong Kong, or any other developed nation. Well, you're not going to get America bashing from me. You'll get me calling it as I see it. You'll get me telling you where America has it wrong. And the reality is, this is why I can still be proud to be an American when I say where America has it wrong. Pretty much everybody's done it too. Uh, these great healthcare systems over in Europe exist because Americans fund them. We fund them. We do all the research into the drugs and the medical equipment and what have you, and then they buy them at a discount because it's not their FDA that's doing all the work. It's ours. It's not why I'm proud to be an American. It's just a fact. You know what? Those nations wouldn't be able to do everything that they do if it wasn't for the good old USA. They really would. If we just said, you know what, we're going to do what you do, everybody's screwed. Because we're the ones pumping all of this stuff into the economy. Many of these other nations spend almost nothing on defense because the good old USA has their back. It's true. You may not want to believe it, but it is. Does that mean that we always use the military for good? No. Does it mean that we never go to war when we shouldn't? No. But it does mean that if you're Norway, you don't have to really worry about being invaded by anybody because you know the good old USA will kick their ass for you. So you don't have to spend a lot of money on defense. You don't have to spend a lot of money on developing drugs and treatments and things like that because good old USA will do it, fund it, and you can go in and negotiate it and buy it at a discount. It's truth. So... Let's just not start off with a false premise that all these other countries have it better than we do, because they don't. If you looked at the Eurozone lately, it's falling apart just like the United States economy. All of these nations are going to fall apart economically. This is not an American problem. This is a global problem because everybody's on the same system doing the same shit. And some nations have been able to live off of the efforts of others, and we've done it, and we've been the people that have enabled it at the same time. We've lived off poor nations like Bangladesh by importing their, their cheap textiles, and we know the abuses that are going on, and we're empowering people. So you're, you're waiting for me to tell you where I'm proud to be an American, right? I'm admitting what we've done wrong, and I've in, I'm telling you that they all of the nations have done these things. We're not unique in our faults. We're not even close to unique in our faults. Some categories our faults are greater than others and in some categories the faults of others are greater than ours. But when you aggregate average the faults out across the board, pretty much government sucks everywhere that it exists. That's why I'm a libertarian. I want less government, not more. I want government to see to the basic needs of the people and get the hell out of the way and let us take care of the rest for ourselves. So with all that being said, what am I proud about as an American? America has accomplished more than any other nation on the history in the history of the planet. America has done more good and more amazing things and produced things. I'm not talking about manufacturing. I'm talking about the origination of an idea, the first to go ahead and create it. There's a lot of other lies out there. You hear the one. Here's the one you hear all the time. We're 16th or 22nd or whatever the hell it is today in, ma- in the world in math and science. Do you know why? Do you want Uncle Jack to tell you why we're so low in math and science? In other nations, where they're enlightened, and this is something they do smarter than us. But then the, the, the numbers get lied with. See, if you've ever been in in, uh, in science, like as, as somebody that has to present findings, or marketing or sales, you know how to do something the average person doesn't. Make a chart or a graph say anything the hell you want by how you start things out and how you present the data. right? So this is what happens with the math and science scores. In most other nations, by the time of students in high school, they're on kind of a path. This guy's kind of like a tradesman, so he's on a path to be a tradesman. He's not doing a whole lot of math and science. He's doing enough math and science about how long to cut a board or how long to make a piece of metal. He's going off into that. And there's like a mid-tier and there's like a university tier. And a lot of these students go to school for free or very low tuition. Of course, it's actually taxpayer-funded. But they're split into these groups. And when we take their math and science scores, we're taking the math and science scores of the children participating in the math and science curriculum in those nations. When we get the U.S.'s math and science scores, we're taking the math and science scores of all the children in the U.S. school system. We're not taking these groups and splitting them into different Groups, trade, kind of a mid-tier university, right? So they're putting up their best and brightest, and we're putting up everybody. Now, if you wanted to look at math and science scores fairly, then you would take the students that are on a track to use math and science and take their scores, and we'll stand up to anybody in the world. And if you look at the innovation and what does come out of this country from an innovative standpoint, you would see that. And I'm very proud that our nation is able to do that. And I'm proud of the way that we're able to do that. We're able to do that because we are a society of immigrants. We have people from all over the world with varying perspectives and that's part of what makes us so innovative. I'm proud of one of the innovations that we've accomplished that no other nation has ever done. We put a man on the moon in 1969. If you're not proud of that, please pay attention. That past, that forgotten history is an example of what America can be tomorrow. Even with all of these problems we've talked about today, if we'll just accept what we've done, pay our dues, fix the problem, and go forward as the nation we can be, our history shows us our greatness. I'm proud of that. And we're still doing it. We just put a craft the size of a small car on Mars And it's driving around on Mars using a nuclear power generation piece of equipment. A nuclear power plant that will run it for years. And it's telling us the history of another planet. Other nations have space programs. They haven't done anything like that, have they? No one's done anything close to what we've done with Mars exploration, putting people on the moon. And that shows us our greatness. I'm proud of being American because when something goes wrong in the world and it's time for people to rush in and help, or it's time for people to open up a checkbook and make a contribution, people do it all over the world. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But no nation gives more. No nation has given more in any of the major global catastrophes in the last 20 years in the United States. No two or three nations combined has been as charitable and generous as the United States. And I'm not just talking about the money they take from us and throw into to these, these countries that hate us as government aid. I'm talking about private, personal aid. No one, no one anywhere stands with the U.S. in the amount that we're willing to do. People that don't have much still will write a check to the American Red Cross. I still think that their money would be better in a smaller charity. I think the Red Cross abuses a lot of that money that goes in, but they also do a lot of good. But I'm not talking about the Red Cross. I'm talking about the little old lady who will write a check. I'm talking about my father-in-law who lives on Social Security that will send several hundred dollars a month to St. Jude to help a child. No other nation stands with this nation and are willing to do this. And that, my friends, I am proud of. When it comes to an average person being able to be successful in business, as many hurdles and obstacles and things that are in the way, there is no nation with more opportunity for that than America still today. None. There's other nations that that are pretty good. But we've created more millionaires. It might be a monopoly money system, but that's not the fault of the entrepreneur, is it? The entrepreneur has to work with what he has. This nation's created more millionaires than any other nation in the world. We talk about the 1%. In this nation, at least if you want to, you can strive to become part of the 1%, or at least the 10%. Do you know how many nations where it's impossible for someone that's in the bottom 10% to ever be in the top 10%? Europe is not an attempt for prosperity. It's an attempt for equality. So that everybody will be the same. And if everybody's super, Nobody's super. Remember that little pearl of wisdom from a cartoon movie? In America, you can still be super if that's what you want to be. And you don't have to be evil or malicious or an international banker to do it. You can just be someone that does something better and more innovative than anybody's ever done before. And hell, yes, I'm proud of that. Guess me why I'm proud to be an American? I'm proud to be American because of the 45,000 people or more every day that listen to this show and are making changes in their lives because they've decided they're not going to wait for somebody else to do it. It's not about me because there's plenty of other communities just like this one encouraging people to do the same thing, and they're doing it everywhere. I'm proud to be an American because I have said I want a garden in every backyard, and I think one day it could happen. That makes me proud to be an American. Does that mean that it can't happen elsewhere? No. Of course it can. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be proud to be an American of just because of something that no one else does well or because you do it better. You can simply be proud that you do it really well. I'm proud to be an American because at least on some level, people can still fail here. I don't want a society where no one can fail. Such a society is mediocre. It never aspires to greatness. When we take away the scoreboard for our children playing soccer or basketball, we rob them of the competitive experience. And I'm sad that we do that. But in America, at least you can still fail. Now, I'm not saying that failure should mean you live in a cardboard box in the street, that we can't create any safety net. I won't go off on that tangent of what a safety net really is today. But those of you who have heard it before know what I think a safety net is. You fall, you get into it, you can still get hurt, but you get the hell out of it and get back on your feet. And I'm fine with us doing that. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. And I'm proud of that too. I think we have too big of a safety net right now. And I'm not happy with that. But at least you can still fail in this country. Because if you cannot fail, you cannot win. So I'm proud to be an American because of that. But I'll tell you the biggest reason I'm proud to be an American. I'll tell you the biggest reason. And yeah, the Second Amendment plays in this. Our Constitution, Bill of Rights, and Declaration of Independence are something to be proud of. Now, many of my people are ignorant to those documents and what they say, their founding, and how many men fought and risked their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to give them to us as gifts and found our republic. I understand that. But you know what? Your nation, the United States of America, can be exactly what it's supposed to be any time the population will pull its collective heads out of its collective ass. And simply use the tools that we were given by our founders to put it back that way. I'm proud that we have the opportunity. And you can tell me about other nations' constitutions, but there's nothing like ours. There really isn't. There's nothing like ours. Because ours grants you no rights. It simply protects them. It offers government protection of rights that are seen to be given to you from your creator. Not God, not Yahweh, not Jehovah. Not Buddha, not Allah, not Muhammad, not any other name that you come up with. Not Zeus or Apollo. Creator. I'm very proud of that word. Endowed by their creator. Giving each man the freedom to choose what he believes about his creation. Whether he believes he evolved from protoplasm, was was brought up out of the dust, or came from the stars. It's up to him. It's up to each woman, it's up to her, it's up to each child as they grow to determine what they believe that means, endowed by their creator. But it's recognized. It's recognized not just that the rights are inalienable, but your right to choose what you believe about that creation is inalienable as well. I don't know of another nation that does that. I know of other nations that have theocracies, I don't know of other nations that have a republic founded on the inalienable rights of a creator. And if you can find me one, I bet you they took a cue from the good old USA. You want to know why I'm proud to be an American? I've just told you. And with that, this has been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.